Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Come, let us sing a song together as the way flows swiftly by beneath us. Come, let us ride this road together, following the paths our forebears left to guide us. And forging fresh roads to follow new dreams. We can change, change the, the world. world with our love. Hopeful hands laying a foundation for those to come, knowing they will raise upon it an architecture we could never, 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 never have imagined. Come, let, let us, us sing a song, song together, together as the years flow by around us, carrying us side by side into a world of dream upon dream upon, upon dream. Please join in singing hymn number 354, We Laugh, We Cry.
Please be seated. Good morning. I'm your worship leader, Kristen Satterley, and I'm so glad to welcome all your smiling faces to First Unitarian this morning. If this is your first time here or you've been part of this congregation for years, if you're in the family room or social hall or in this physical sanctuary, each one of you is an important part of our celebration today. In fact, take a moment to look around at this beautiful congregation. Notice the people near you and those far away across the room. It is good to be together. And it is also good to remember that every one of us, young and old, is a human being. We are glad you are here today. So we want the real you to be with us this morning. We know the real you isn't absolutely silent and utterly still. You breathe, you sigh, you wiggle, you hum or tap your toes to the music. Do those things. Our bodies and our devices make small noises and that is just fine. That's good. Families with small folks, we've got a playground down here if you want a close-up view of the action and a soft rug to play on. There's also an activity table in the back and a family room across the hall. Wherever you want to be, we are happy you are with us today. I have a note from Angela about the sermon. Today's sermon is about the sometimes wonderful, sometimes troubling legacies of those who came before us and the legacies we too will someday leave. The message includes a brief mention of suicide and allegations of abuse having to do with a minister who served here in the 1960s. There will be no graphic language. This is a multi-generational space. However, we wanted to give you a heads up as we know these are sensitive issues. Welcome to all on this beautiful morning. Come, let us worship together. This morning we honor and acknowledge fathers and fathering. Your stories of father figures might be heartwarming and love-filled, or they might be painful and sad. And they might be all those things and everything in between. Maybe there is a collection of father figures in your life who shared wisdom and learning, either on purpose or inadvertently. And maybe you are one of those honorary fathers. Maybe you are currently fathering and wondering about whether you're getting it right or you're sleep deprived and wondering whether you'll ever catch up. Or maybe you're just celebrating the fun of it all. In your story, there might be regrets, joys, anger, all wrapped up in the complexities of parenting and raising up future generations. In this space, we will hold the all of it. Whatever your story is today, whether it involves fathers and father figures or not, we make meaning of it together. In a moment, we are going to light some candles for anyone you are thinking of on this day. 
But first, I invite us to just take a couple collective breaths and some silence together to bring together, to bring to mind whatever stories you are holding this morning. Let's just take a couple moments of silence. When the music begins, you will be invited to come forward through these center aisles and light a candle to honor any or all of those who are on your mind as you acknowledge this day of fathers and fathering. And if coming forward is not possible for you, I'm gonna invite you to offer your prayers for all those you are thinking of as Angela lights this first candle. I invite you all to come forward and offer your candles and prayers.
Let's just take a moment of stillness to acknowledge these candles and all of the people and experiences embedded within this light. We hold all these prayers in tender care. And we continue with others in our community who we wish to acknowledge. We're grateful that Sarah Wofford's mom, Viola, is home from the hospital after a brief stay. And we wish her continued healing. And I want to invite you to share all the others who are on your heart and mind as well. At the sound of the chime, I invite you to say aloud the names of anyone who could use prayers and love today. May all those named aloud and on our hearts be held in the love of healing and renewal known by many names. On this Father's Day and this Juneteenth weekend, we hold with care all the things we have learned to do well and all the things we humans still have yet to learn. We hold with care all the harms we have created, all the sadness we've contributed to, all the things we didn't know and now know, all the things we didn't know and don't yet know. We hold with care all the love we offer, all the joy we produce, all the ways we try and keep trying. May this community help us to have courage to stay in it all. May this community help us to have the courage to stay in it all together. Amen. Peace be with you. It is so nice to see so many whole faces today. <laughs> you have to remember, though, that I can see your expression <laughs> while I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm going to know how you feel about it. <laughs> Here's something so touching. It's about the Reverend Todd Taylor, who died earlier this year. Todd was 94 when he died. And he had served as the minister here at First Unitarian from 1982 to 1987, so just before Christine Robinson arrived. I only met him once, about eight years ago, 
when he stopped by this campus just before moving from Arroyo Seco to Florida to be with family. But it is something to have shaken the hand of your predecessor's predecessor, no? I think of leadership here as a kind of carrying that we do. We receive this place, its mission, its stories, and we carry and take care of them with as much tenderness as we can. We don't do it alone, of course. We ministers, everybody who serves in any kind of leadership here at the church does this together. And then when our turn is done, we pass it along with hopes that we have done our part well, that our egos haven't gotten in the way, and everybody has an ego, right? And that our sense of purpose has been clear and good and true to the spirit of this place and that we have been true to it. Although this, his time as a minister here was a long time ago now, this place was still special to Todd. And it was his wish that his ashes be added to our memorial wall along with his wife, Carolyn's. The memorial wall is a cinerarium that's out in the memorial garden here. So his family sent his ashes to us from Florida. They arrived in the mail. The mail, good heavens, the mail. Wow. <laughs> it never ceases to amaze me how sacred a death is, and, but also just how utterly normal at the same time. And I kept the box of ashes right near me in my office for a few weeks until the day of the memorial ceremony. What a cause for reflection to have that right there next to me. Cause for humility as well. On the day of the memorial ceremony, a small group gathered out there in the garden, maybe 20, 25 people or so, mostly longtime members who knew Todd when he served here. Anne told a story about the time her baby, who is now in his 30s, rushed the platform in the middle of a Sunday service while Todd was at the pulpit, and how Todd just took it in stride. He must have been as happy then as I am now to have families with young children in the congregation. Becky, who was a member of the church staff back then, described the everyday teamwork of shoveling snow off the courtyard walkways together with him one winter morning. Christine, who, as I said, served as minister after Todd, described him as, quote, a minister of the old school, dignified, ethical, hardworking, and committed to Unitarian Universalism. She said he was also temperate and faithful to the challenges of ministry, and therefore trustable. This congregation had unfortunately had some damaging experiences before that with ministers, so Todd's trustworthiness was a healing gift here. And then Gary Carlson added Todd's ashes to the wall, and I got this huge lump in my throat to see that, to see this final act of care from a member to a minister. You might recognize Gary's name from our eighth principal task force. He served on that last year, and he was also a leader in, Tom's, uh, in Todd's time here. And with that, Todd moved from living predecessor to a kind of forefather. Now he is among the ancestors who are innumerable, largely unknowable, and also with us still, always. What a blessing. What a blessing that was. It's not always so easy to know how to regard the legacies of those who came before us. 
Another minister of this church, one who served 20 years before Todd did, was in the news right around the same time Todd died. Jim Wilkes was a Catholic priest in Dallas who married a nun and left the priesthood, became a UU minister, and served here with this congregation from 1962 to 1965. Colleagues who knew him back then described him as an alcoholic. From here, he went briefly to First Unitarian in Dallas, then to a small church in the Midwest, and then, unfortunately, he ended his own life. A few months ago, a news station quoted James, Jim Wilkes' son, saying that Wilkes was abusive toward him and his siblings in some very specific ways, that he also committed these crimes outside of the family, and that he, the son, has been trying to get the Catholic Church to release its secret files on Jim Wilkes. So your board and the Healthy Congregation, the Healthy Community Committee, and the ministers have carefully considered this information. This was very distressing information to hear. To our knowledge, no abuse occurred against members of this congregation while he served here. There are no reports of that as far as we know. And if anybody knows otherwise, I really do hope that you'll tell me about it. But regardless, we take this kind of thing very, very seriously. Wilkes' photo has been in a prominent place among the photos of other ministers in the church library. He was described on our website's history page as a social activist and a fiery preacher who attracted crowds much too large for that first sanctuary and whose departure was a great disappointment. So now we've updated the photo wall and the website to reflect what we know about Wilkes' troubled past and to reflect the serious allegations that were made by his son. Right now, many of you may also be remembering the letter that I sent out in February to the congregation. That was about a different person. That was about DNA evidence that implicated a well-known former member of the congregation, a music teacher here in New Mexico, with some very serious crimes. Again, none of which seem to have happened right here. He died in 2014, that person. Why talk about these things? Somebody asked me that after that letter went out. He isn't alive anymore, they said, so why bring this up? And perhaps some are also wondering, why bring up Jim Wilkes too, something that happened so long ago? It makes us uncomfortable hearing these things. And there's an old, deeply entrenched cultural taboo against speaking ill of the dead, and it feels very uncomfortable to break that taboo. But we just won't cover up or ignore abuse in this congregation. We just won't do that. We have safe congregation policies in place to prevent that from happening, to prevent abuse. And whenever any possibility that abuse has occurred arises in the past or the present, we name it, we deal with it, we act on our policies. We won't keep that kind of thing quiet because doing so would ultimately only protect those who are thinking of doing harm by conveying that this is a culture of secrecy here. So we don't participate in that. You, your church leaders and I are accountable to you to make this a safe church and so we take that to heart very much. This all happens in an era in which there's a lot of accountability talk, and I want to shift to a different aspect of that. There, there's a lot of accountability talk in this time that we live in, talk of calling in and calling out, 
a big focus on impact, the impact we have on each other, a change from the ways of the past, all of this. And I realize that it can cause some nervousness. I'm aware of that. Sometimes I experience some nervousness myself. Because in between exemplary conduct and grave misconduct of the type I've just described, there's this whole area where people do the best they can with what they know in any decade or generation, any era, and they do the best they can knowing more and more as time passes that they might be viewed quite differently in hindsight, right? Sometime in the future, people might see it differently. In her remarks, Christine remembered Todd as a minister of the old school. One of the ways that played out is that his style of ministry was what might be described as masculine. Almost all ministers were men back then. But Todd's wife, Carolyn, had some other ideas. She was a feminist, a colorful one, from what I hear, with winged glasses. I made this gesture at the 9 a.m. service, and Christine was looking at me, and she went like this. <laughs> so <laughs> so you, you're getting a picture, <laughs> right? Winged glasses. She wanted to light candles in worship, which was a radical idea back then. And she wanted to talk about the feminine aspects of the divine. She apparently ruffled a lot of feathers, Carolyn did. But she was onto something. The old school style of worship that had been very effective in the mid 20th century was beginning to lose its appeal. So she helped usher in an era where this congregation's warm, more inclusive worship style made it a leader in the denomination. What else is now seen as old school? Well, as far as I can tell, this congregation has always been justice-oriented. I also know that in the 80s, being against racism meant downplaying race. It meant being colorblind, not making a big deal of it, right? The civil rights movement was still somewhat recent at that time. Young adults in that era could remember seeing whites-only signs on walls. Today, racism is different. It functions differently, and it requires a different response. It's not posted on signs everywhere publicly like that. It's measured in impact. And to notice impact, we have to notice race and talk about it. And to deal with impact, we have to accept that a negative impact often happens even when there are good intentions. And if our impact is bad, we have to repair that harm regardless of what our intentions were. So that's a change from what worked before and what was important before to how it works now. What else? In the 80s, the gay rights movement had just gotten started. Gay people were starting to come out, and they had to if we were going to force our leaders to confront the AIDS epidemic. And suddenly, a lot of people were realizing that someone they loved was gay. That was a game changer. There was a backlash. The US military banned gay people and discharged 17,000 soldiers as one example, 17,000 soldiers, that is a lot of people. UU congregations rolled out the Welcoming Congregations program to help themselves become more welcoming spaces because they knew that they too had some work to do. Today, trans and gender nonconforming people are coming out in greater and greater numbers. And again, there's a backlash that we can all see. And again, we're working on a Welcoming Congregation program 2.0, we're updating it. But are what we are doing now, but, but what are we doing now? What are we doing now that is later going to be called old school? That's what I wonder. 
Right? Am I going to be an old school minister? Is Kristen? She's just starting. Right? Is she going to be an old school minister? Are we going to be old school? Probably. Yeah, probably. I would think so. We probably will. And we should welcome that. We should welcome that, even though it makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes. It makes us uncomfortable because if things keep changing, like, how are we supposed to be? How do we know what to do? We want the good work of our lives to matter. Right? We want to know that those who come after us will have something to build on, and we want to do well, and we want to be remembered well. With parenting, I remember when my kids entered high school, I thought to myself, the time for mid-course corrections is passing. <laughs> like, I've done what I did, you know, as a parent of young children. And I'd worked hard to change the harmful patterns of previous generations in my family. Was it enough, I wondered? What did I miss? Now they're adults, and the older they get, the more their perspective evolves beyond what I could have taught them. Before long, I think my oldest child is going to become a parent herself. And she'll probably do some things about the same way I did. And she'll do a lot of other things very differently. Yeah? Any grandparents here know what that feels like? Kids always do things differently than their parents did. So will I celebrate her growth? Will I celebrate her ability to make her own decisions? Or will I feel a sense of failure and maybe some defensiveness that not everything I did was worth replicating exactly? Probably both, if I'm honest. As we embrace new ways of thinking and as we embrace culture change right here in our church, I know one of the questions it raises sometimes in our minds is, do we still belong? If this place is changing, do we still belong? And it's really a question that applies to everyone, people of all ages who are here right now, long-time members and shorter-time members. It's a question that we will end up confronting if we stay long enough, because as Khalil Gibran wrote, time goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. Right? It just goes forward. That baby that rushed the platform when Todd was at the pulpit is in his 30s now. His generation is looking for welcoming places. While the babies of the 80s were growing up and Todd's wife Carolyn shook things up, then so did Reverend Christine when she came after them. She noticed, for example, that while previous generations had to go to church, they really had to do it, Newcomers in the 90s and the early 2000s really didn't have to go to church. The culture around us had changed so that a person no longer had to belong to a church in order to be socially accepted. And if what they wanted was community, they could find that on a softball team or in a book club, right, or an online forum. People in the 1960s and 70s and 80s had come here because they had to go to a church to be socially accepted, and UU was known as the least churchy church around. No candles, no feminine divine, right? <laughs> it was pretty much just intellectual back then, and that served an important need for a long time. But people coming through the doors in the 1990s and in the 2000s didn't have to come, and they could find intellectual stuff and community stuff in the secular world, which meant if they were coming here, they must be looking for something specifically spiritual. Christine led First Unitarian in adapting to meet that new need, with the result that so many people felt welcome here and found something important to them here 
that this became one of the largest UU congregations in the country. And it was uncomfortable for many of the folks who had been here a while and who were now becoming old school. Some left, in fact, but many stayed. And I'm so glad they did because every evolution of this place is a way of building on, building on, building on what came before. Their contributions were and are important to who we are. They carried and they cared for this place so that others would be able to as well in their own way. Today, people who walk through our doors are often looking for a refuge from hate. And they're looking for a place to do the hard but deeply satisfying work of dismantling oppression in ourselves and in our institutions. There are so many kinds of oppression, gender, sexuality, ageism, ableism, others, just so many that nobody is immune from those things, from, from oppression. And some of our longtime members who have been through multiple evolutions of this place already are joining new ones in meeting this new need. I'm looking at you, Gary Carlson. Are you here, Gary, today? No. <laughs> it's wonderful, that continued leadership. We build on and we evolve from what came before. We carry this precious thing so that we can help it along and we can eventually pass it along. As we grow in wisdom, we understand that we are a small part of something larger. So even though I know this time will someday look old school, I trust in the work that is ours to do right now. Do you trust in it with me? It's like Kristen Satterley wrote in our beautiful call to worship this morning, we can change the world with our love, hopeful hands, laying a foundation for those to come, knowing they will raise upon it an architecture we could never have imagined. So it is, and so may it be. Before I invite us into the offering today, I want to back up just a second to my welcome and, um, and say that I said, you know, here or there, young or old, etc. also masked or unmasked. We welcome every single one of you and celebrate that you've taken the time to find out what is right for you and done that. It's really special. Oh, I'm just glad to see everybody here. There are many ways that we create legacies, gifts to the future. One of those is by supporting organizations like this church, communities that will live on after we are gone and provide a place of rest and growth for those who succeed us. Our Change for the Future partner this month offers another way. Libros for Kids partners with Dolly Parton's Imagination Library to mail free books each month to children in Bernalillo and Valencia counties. With a free book each month from birth to age five, each child receives their own library of 60 books, including 12 bilingual titles. You can earmark your donation for Libros for Kids by using the envelope on the back of the chair, writing CFF on the envelope, or just by putting your loose change in the basket. Your generosity sustains this community and all the bodies in it. We will now gratefully receive the offering. Thank you. 
Father, 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 I am coming home. Open up the gates, please let me in. Everybody needs a way to start again. I've been on a road not always kind. Yes, it's been a long, hard climb. Father, 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 lay your hand in mine. Sometimes all we carry holds us down. Letting go is hard somehow. So let me be like the leaves on the trees. They come back in the spring, go to green. Yes, yeah, so let me be like the stream full of rain. It comes back eventually to the sea. It comes back eventually to the sea. Tell me, will we ever reach the promised land? There's nothing we can do to change the past. Forget to say we're free at last. Don't you know the war's over and done? But I think more lost than won. So let me be like the leaves on the trees. They come back. Everybody needs some place to lean. You and me both, it seems. So let me be like the leaves on the trees. They come back in the spring, go to stream full of rain it comes back eventually to the sea
That was beautiful. Thank you all so much on behalf of Libros for Kids and on behalf of this congregation for your generosity Sunday after Sunday and throughout the week too. Thank you and thank you ushers. And we have a couple invitations for you. First, a couple endings to tell you about. Our youth programming is done for the summer already and today is the last day of our children's programming in religious education. But we do have a summer program starting up on uh, July 9th. We'll have a can-do summer starting July 9th for all of our children. So in between now and then, your kids are welcome to continue going to the playground. There will still be childcare offered. And then sign them up for the July 9th programming. Um, and you can talk to Alana or Mia to find out more about that. And Mia, I know, is in here somewhere. Back in the back over there. Talk to Mia. And we have a couple more invitations for you. For more kids stuff, UU Kids Camp registration is live. All rising third through 12th graders are invited to the beautiful Sacramento Mountains from July 23rd to 28th. The week-long camp there is a time-honored 33-year-old tradition where we connect, create sacred spaces together, enjoy nature, and have a lot of fun. So go to the website at uuabq.org and click on Learn for the registration information. Our awesome music director, Susan Peck, is inviting you into some fun musical opportunities this summer. She's putting together a roster of terrific musicians to perform at our congregation as we become more known in the city as a concert venue. There are several fun ways to help, like contacting local press, doing social media outreach, and more. Check the newsletter for ways to help. And our food pantry does not close over the summer. We'll still be offering food to the local community every Wednesday. And you are invited to help even if you aren't available on Wednesdays. There are still things you can do. Details are in the newsletter or you can contact Rachel Jarrell. You are invited to participate in the chat tables, those informal conversations that happen about the service after the service. So if you want to join a chat table, great. If you just want to be chit-chatting with folks in the congregation or other people outside of the congregation throughout the week, you might appreciate having a question to help guide those conversations. So our question today, when have you been a part of creating something that others then built on? When have you been a part of creating something that others then built on? Uh. Kristen Pamela, I'm gonna bring you back up here on the platform. It pains me to say this, but this is Kristen's last day as our intern minister. I know. <laughs> she started her internship here last August, 10 months ago already. And some interns do two uh, church years part-time, some do one year full-time. Kristen did one church year full-time, that's 10 months. 
Uh, I think I might change that just so we can keep them longer. <laughs> nah, it's an academic thing. <laughs> and she's been part of so many things this year. If you think back to last August, she was part of opening a second in-person service for the first time since 2020. Redesigning our liturgy on these Sunday mornings to add singing back in. Remember, we didn't sing together for a while because it wasn't safe. And uh, she was part of making every service a multi-generational service. She really was an active help in redesigning these services. She was with us as we adopted the eighth principle, making dismantling oppression one of our core foundational principles in the church. She was with us and helped as we raised the roof for the RE building. That project's almost done, by the way. Thanks again. And she's guided our adult religious education council this year, just to name a few. She's been doing so many things. What's Angela gonna do without Bob or an intern minister, you might be wondering. <laughs> we'll talk about that next week. Today is about Kristen. <laughs> now she's ready to leave our congregation and head back to her home in California to prepare to see the Ministerial Fellowship Committee in December. That is the final step in the initial preparation and training for most UU ministers. And once she passes the MFC, as we say, Kristen will be able to go into a search for a ministry position of her own. So Kristen, you have made so many meaningful contributions and we are so lucky to have had you as an intern this year and we are really going to miss you. the intern committee come on up as well. I want to thank this intern committee. These are the volunteers who have met monthly with Kristen all year long to give her support and feedback in her formation. And they are Anne Marsh, Peter Chestnut, Joella Bezig, Jan Harper, and I see Melissa Falkenstern's not here right now, but she's also on the committee. Peter, you want to say a word? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> uh, we on the committee are grateful for the opportunity to serve our congregation in this way and to share time and thoughts with Kristen. Kristen, we thank you for your service and wish you a wonderful life and career as a UU minister. We think you're more than ready to serve our UU denomination as a leader in the future. Many blessings. Thank you. We have a gift. I'll hold your mic. <laughs> this is a gift made by our member Nancy Bowen. Uh, it's made from fabric that has been handed down among the congregation's seamstresses and sewn into many stoles for staff, ministers, and interns. Some of the fabric comes from ties that were worn by a long ago men's group here at the church. <laughs> and the design echoes our mural as well. So, Kristen, let me put this on you.
is the second time I've done this and I'm still crying. <laughs> you all are so great and I have so appreciated learning and growing with you and I appreciate so much the fact that you are a learning congregation and that you are raising up all these future generations of ministers. Thank you. And now let's give Kristen a blessing as we release her from this learning ministry and we send her forth with love. I'm going to share a reading. It's adapted from Jillian Terwilliger in Lifting Our Voices. Um, and after each line I say, I would like everybody to please respond with, we give you our blessings. Will you rise in body or spirit for this blessing? Kristen, for the longing that told you it was time for a change, we give you our blessings. For the courage it took to answer that call, we give you our blessings. For the choices already made and the daily choices that will shape the life ahead of you, we give you our blessings. For the communities that have shown you who you are and the new communities waiting to discover you in your new ventures, we give you our blessings. For the great mystery of what lies ahead, we give you our blessings. And for the ministry we have shared, we give you our blessings. Kristen, we give you our blessings and our thanks. I give you my thanks and blessings back. Thank you. Let's do our peace greeting, and I invite you to begin by extending it toward Kristen. Peace. And then toward each other. Peace and blessings to all. We're going to close the service with one of Kristen's favorite hymns. So I ask you to join in singing hymn number 131, Love Will Guide Us. Love's gonna guide us 
love guide us as we learn and grow together towards unknown futures. Go forth with lots of love. Thank you.